G'day. Welcome to God's Word Today's World, applying scripture to modern life. My name is Dan Van Werkhoven. I'm an Aussie writer and pastor living with my wife on a tiny island called Saipan. Join me today as I dig into scripture and explore how God's Word can still be applied to our lives thousands of years later. Hey, you're listening to episode 5 of the God's Word Today's World podcast. Today we're looking at one of the toughest things to balance as a Christian, truth and love. Pretty much all of us lean to one side or the other. We like to focus more on love or more on truth. But we need both in equal measure. And until we find the balance between both, the gospel of Christ is compromised in our life. If you want access to the show notes and the full transcript, you can find that over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen and look for episode 5 on the list. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. But without further ado, let's dig in. Last week in episode 4 of the God's Word Today's World podcast, we looked at how the early church treated each other like family. They weren't just a group of people who met on Sundays, they met daily, and they shared meals together and praised God together. We looked at how important it is to share meals together with our church family, because it is one of the best ways to get to know people. Us being a family, us knowing each other well and showing each other the same love that Jesus showed us, is crucial to the effectiveness of our churches. So the challenge I gave us was for each of us to organize to have a meal, or coffee, tea, with someone that we don't know very well in our church. This week, we're going to see how Peter used equal measures of truth and love when he shared the gospel. A passage this week is Acts chapter 3, and this is the World English Bible. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A certain man who was lame from his mother's womb was being carried, whom they laid daily at the door of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask gifts for the needy of those who entered into the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive gifts for the needy. Peter, fastening his eyes on him with John, said, Look at us. He listened to them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, that I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up. Immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk. He entered with them into the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him, that it was he who used to sit begging for the gifts for the needy at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. As the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together with them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. 
When Peter saw it, he responded to the people, You men of Israel, why do you marvel at this man? Why do you fasten your eyes on us as though by our own power or godliness we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had determined to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, to which we are witnesses. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which is through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, brothers, I know that you did this in ignorance, as did you also your rulers. But the things which God announced by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, so that there may be so that there may come times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Christ Jesus, who, ha- who was ordained for you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God spoke long ago by the mouth of his holy prophets. For Moses indeed said to the fathers, The Lord God will, ri- will raise up a prophet for you from among from amongst your brothers like me. You shall listen to him in all things, whatever he says to you. It will be that every soul that will not listen to that prophet will be utterly destroyed from amongst the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who followed after, as many as have spoken, they also told of these days. You are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, All the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you in turning away every one of you from your wickedness. So our story today starts with Peter and John heading to the temple. As they're entering through the gate called Beautiful, A beggar stops them, asking for money, money that they did not have. But what they did have was something far more incredible. As two of the apostles chosen by Jesus to lead the early church, they had the ability to perform miracles, not by their own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. When the people saw this, they assumed that it was Peter and John's own power that had healed the man's feet and ankles. Peter's response to this fascinates me. You see, today, if we do something because that's how Jesus commanded us to act, and others notice and ask why we did that, what's our usual response? Sometimes we find a way to give God credit. Sometimes, though, we just shrug and say, thanks, anyone would have do it. It was nothing special. But what did Peter say to the people? He starts first with the hard truth. He said, 
It ain't by our power this happened. No, we did it by the power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. The Son of the God you claim to follow. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and insisted that the Roman official who had decided Jesus was innocent should instead release a known murderer to you. You killed Jesus. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of that. It's by faith in the name of Jesus that this man was made strong. Peter does not pull any punches. He tells them straight up that they're responsible for Jesus' death. But despite what they did, it was part of God's plan. And Jesus was raised from the dead. And it's through faith in Jesus that the beggar was healed. Peter told them they were personally responsible for the death of Jesus. And you know what? Even today, 2,000 years later, we are still responsible for the death of Jesus. Every single person who has ever lived and ever will live is responsible for Jesus' death because we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But Peter doesn't just stop with the heavy truth that they were responsible for Jesus' death, that we're responsible for Jesus' death. Instead, he continues. He continues with love and grace. He says, No, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Peter first delivered a slap in the face. Hey, you killed Jesus. But he continued with love, with grace, with a solution. Yes, they had killed Jesus, but there was a way to get forgiveness for that. There was a way to get forgiveness for every wrong that done. Repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus. Just think about that combination of truth and love for a moment. How powerful is that news? You are responsible for Jesus' horrendous torture and death. Why? Because you're not perfect. Even if you've only ever told a tiny white lie, or responded harshly in anger to someone, or was envious of someone else's possessions, you're responsible for his death. But it's okay, because Jesus wants to forgive you, and to do that, all he asks is that you give up your sin, turn from it, and acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, and call on him as your Savior, as the risen King whom death could not defeat. Jesus is alive today despite the fact that your sin put him on the cross. He's alive because God raised him from dead, and now he sits at God's right hand in heaven until one day when he'll return to judge the earth. Can you imagine telling someone that? The idea makes us uncomfortable, right? I know it makes me uncomfortable, but it's the truth. And it's how Jesus talked to people. It's how the apostles shared the gospel. 
I think today we've created a world that is so scared of confrontation and conflict that we've watered down the gospel to make it less confrontational. We find ways to word the truth of Jesus' death so that it doesn't offend anyone. We don't want to tell someone that, yeah, your mistakes put Jesus on the cross. We don't want to because it makes us uncomfortable, and it'll make some people hate us for daring to tell them that they're responsible for Jesus' death, or how dare we talk to them about our faith. So we don't say anything. Or if we do, it's, a, it's as nice as we can make it. It's not confrontational, it's... Jesus loves everyone just the way they are. You don't need to change at all. At least, that's what happens when we forget about truth. That's what happens when we focus just on grace, on love, and on keeping people happy. But we need truth as well. However, we can go too far in the opposite direction. We can also be all truth and no love. And that's just as dangerous, because truth without love, that often looks like hatred, arrogance, and pride. I'm sure we've all seen the stories in the news of Christians in protests, yelling and screaming at people while carrying signs saying things like, God hates homosexuality. Well, it's true that God does hate homosexuality. It's also true that he hates all sin. The ironic thing about the Christians who throw others' sin in their faces is that they never seem to mention their own sin. Oftentimes, they're blind to the truth of their own sin. Perhaps the shine should read instead, God hates homosexuality just as much as he hates my uncontrolled temper and pride. Any sin, no matter how big or small, puts us short of the kingdom of God. All sin needs repenting of in order to be saved. Doesn't mean we need to be perfect, but we need to make a decision. Follow sin or follow Jesus. We cannot do both. But the point is this. We're not going to save people by screaming at them and telling them they're evil sinners. Why? Because there's truth, but there's no love. Yes, they are evil sinners, but so are we. The only difference is we should know it. If we've truly been saved, if we've truly repented of our sins and accepted Jesus' forgiveness and the free gift of salvation, then we've experienced his forgiveness and we've got the Holy Spirit living in us. With that understanding of the depth of our own sin and that what we did put Jesus on the cross too, We should be filled with love and compassion for those who don't know Jesus. Because we've been there. We've been unforgiven. We've been against Jesus. Aren't we glad that someone told us the truth with love, even if it hurt? I know before I was saved, it hurt me to hear the truth of what I'd done, what I was responsible for. But it was told with love. A solution was given, a way for me to have forgiveness for the pain that I'd caused. Repent and follow Jesus. Truth and love need to go hand in hand. 
If we take just one, we take away from the gospel. We change what Jesus taught, what Jesus lived. If we take just love and ignore truth, we start to water down the gospel. We try to make it acceptable for everyone. We focus only on making people happy. We avoid confrontation. We avoid uncomfortable situations. But if we take truth and ignore love, we start to focus on the mistakes of others. We become quick to judge and to condemn others. We become holier than thou and, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. And we risk that when we confront others about sin, is purely to point out what they're doing wrong because how dare they sin like that. We need both love and truth. If we take love and truth together, then we're onto something. And that's what Peter displayed in Acts chapter 3, love and truth. He boldly told the, Jew- the Jews the truth. They murdered Jesus. But Peter loved them too. They were his own people. He showed them that love by showing them the way to be saved, repent of their sins and turn to God. Most of us, we tend to lean to one side or the other. We tend to prefer truth or prefer love. But to be a disciple of Jesus, we need both in equal measure. And so my challenge this week is balance love and truth in your life. Take a look at your interactions with others, at the way you think of others. Do you err more toward love or truth? What can you do so you have both in equal measure? If you're all about that truth, how can you show more love? If you're all about grace and love, how can you bring some more truth into your interactions with others? To have both in equal measures is uncomfortable, but we need both to be effective disciples of Jesus. If you want to further explore the idea of love and truth and how they go together, I strongly recommend taking a listen to Andy Stanley's sermon titled When Gracie Met Truthy. You can find a link for that in the show notes for episode 5 at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen. Thank you for joining me today on God's Word Today's World. If you'd like to view the show notes or leave a comment, you can find the complete list of all podcast episodes over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen. Hope to see you next week. Now go apply God's word to your life.